I don't know if you've noticed it, but there have been a few protests lately. In fact, there have been enough uh, that some people have started to get a little creative uh, when they go to protests. I feel like, um, not to make light of what people are protesting, I think some people feel like they need a little bit of some levity in the middle of um, some times where people are feeling unsettled. So I got sucked into a bit of a click hole this week. Uh, I thought I'd show you some of my favorite alternative protest signs. So I'll step down here. Uh, this is one uh, that I found that said, stop premature Christmas decorating. I think that means at least certainly not before Halloween. Um, this one I like. I'm a little upset <laughs> on a little tiny sign. Okay. This one I really liked. What do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. <laughs> Here's another good one. I hate crowds. <laughs> and here's one I think we, we can all relate to. Ban Candy Crush invites. <laughs> finally, finally, someone with the guts to say what we're all thinking, right? Now, I don't want to make a light of the recent protests. I know that um, people are taking this season uh, in our country very seriously, and, and we all should. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems that actually people are more aware of or tuned into issues of or paying attention to and watching out for injustice in ways uh, that they've not before. And more than any other time, at least in my lifetime, people, including people in our church, are motivated to actually do something or to stand up to things they perceive as unjust. It's not just about protests either. Social justice, just the idea of it, seems like it's really a trendy concern these days, doesn't it? You know, not only are people in the streets marching for the first time in decades, but everyone seems to be marketing their products as fair trade or their businesses as multiple bottom line, meaning not just about making money, but doing some good as well. And truthfully, I think that's awesome. Social business, yes, I think if People and we can provide for our families and take care of other people. That's amazing. But my question is, how long will it last? Passions for justice can fire hot, but then fade as time passes and the pressures of everyday life start pushing in. But a current concern for justice can certainly be more than a trend or a political moment. So this series that we're starting today aims to root concerns for social justice, for compassion, in something deeper than any cultural trend, namely, in the very heart of God as expressed in the writings of Scripture and the life of Jesus. So in the past, we've done these 40-day series. Typically, well, typically, every single time we've done it during Lent, the 40 days leading up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And we've every year focused on a different area. And in general, I think uh, the Lenten season has tended to focus on internal aspects of our lives, the internal journey. But somehow, this time, this year, this season, being overly internal seems a little bit off point and out of line with what God is doing in our church and the wider culture and in our city. In fact, it actually seems like a perfect time to reconnect to a passage of Scripture that has been foundational 
to our, st- our understanding in our community of how a community, how people who follow Jesus should respond and interact with the world around them. So today we're going to start with an overview of this passage that focuses on questions of justice and compassion. And in weeks to come, we're going to look at different aspects in detail. But today we start by looking at the center of the heart of God and a desire for his presence, an anchor to ground our pursuit of justice and compassion. Does that sound interesting? Yeah, you guys with me? All right, so I want to read the passage to you. It may be familiar, but I hope after the series it will be really familiar. This is Luke chapter 4, and I'll start in verse 14. And it says, Jesus returned to Galilee by the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet Not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, this 40-day series is definitely an outward-focused series, but let me share with you a little secret. I think that what you'll discover is that with Jesus, sometimes the way out is actually the way in. For example, if you want to imagine just for a minute that the passage we just read was the only passage of the Bible left on earth, this is it. I don't know how it happened, but this one part of a chapter is all we have left. If that were true, how would you explain to someone how they could be close to God? How they could experience more of his spirit? I wonder if it would sound something like this. Well, as far as I can tell, the greatest spiritual practice is to do justice and offer compassion. Now, I know 
That sounds suspiciously like another passage from the Bible, Micah 6, 8, which says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But here's the thing, you don't have that. You don't have that verse. All you have is this one story. And in this one story, we have this phrase. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because... Dot, dot, dot. Now, a lot of things could come next. And for many of us, I think if we were to anticipate, and we hadn't just read the passage, if we were to fill in the blank of what comes after that dot, 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 we would probably fill it with something like, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because I pray without ceasing. I go to church. I fast. I meditate. I read the Bible. And those certainly, they're all commendable, great, helpful, and even powerful things to do. But those aren't the reason that the Spirit of God is on Jesus. Not that he doesn't do all of those things. But according to this passage, the Spirit of God is on Jesus because, dot, 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 he has anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent him to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus, in this passage, is given the Spirit. He's connected with his Father in heaven. There's intimacy there because he has a mission to do. Because God loves us. He wants us to do good. He wants us to pray and sing songs of worship and build spiritual practices into our lives. But if all of those practices are internal, it seems like he's not really that into that. At least in this passage. And if the practices that we practice don't connect us back to what he's doing in the world and what he cares about, if they don't change the way we live in our world, then it may not be the spirit of God that we're connecting to. We connect to Jesus where he is, and he's not one to stay indoors. The greatest spiritual practices involve other people. They're not private or solitary. It's the private or solitary practices that move us towards what might be considered even greater practices that involve other people. Why is this? Well, one reason, not the only reason... (laughs) But one reason for grounded is for a grounded understanding. Why is this? Let me try this again. Well, one reason, not the only reason, but for a grounded understanding of justice and compassion that can change the way we live for the long haul, this is one important reason to understand. And that's this. Justice and compassion are the center of God's mission. I mentioned earlier that a focus on justice and compassion is a bit trendy in certain segments of our society. I watch this show, Don't Judge Me, maybe you love it, maybe you don't, called Shark Tank. And it's where a show where people come on, they have these ideas to start businesses, and they pitch it, pitch those ideas to the sharks, who are really rich uh, people with lots of capital to invest. And they're looking for <laughs> ideas, and so they're trying to get people to invest money in it. And the sharks almost joke at this point about how every business that's being started by people they call millennials has to have some social aspect to it, which they're not against. 
but they think it's good by and large because sometimes it's good, but also because it helps them sell the product. Justice and compassion have become ways to market things, to sell things. And, you know, at least good is being done, right? But when it comes to justice and compassion, God is old school. This is not a new thing for him. This is not a trendy value for God. I mean, this has been his thing since the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean the beginning. And he's always valued the expression of justice and compassion more than religious practice. He's for go, not show. Let me read you this passage. It's a little long. But man, it has inspired so many people over the centuries. This is Isaiah speaking in the voice of God. He says this, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. Now he said they're rebellion, but here they are. They're seeking him out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they say, and you've not seen it. We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? It's worth noting. It's not saying any of these are bad things. Wednesday, we had our Ash Wednesday services where we actually put ash on ourselves as a sign of repentance and humility. God goes on, he says, is it... Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and I will say, here I am. The practices that are just internal, by themselves, don't connect us, sometimes, to God. If they exist in isolation. If they're not connected to something outward. You hear this. What God is saying to his people, it's like, you're doing all of these things, these spiritual practices as well, and I'm having none of it because you're abusing your workers. You're not setting the captives free. You're not standing with those on the edges. Is there any doubt after hearing a passage like that at what is at the center of God's heart? Or consider Jesus. Verse 18 and 19 of our passage here for this series is often referred to by scholars as Jesus' mission statement. 
as if Jesus is saying, this is what I came to do. And this is how it reads. The spirit of the Lord is on me. There's that intimacy that's actually happening. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it seems pretty obvious what Jesus was about. His mission was to come alongside the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed and take up their cause. This is the essence, the essence of Jesus' faith. And it's still the essence of the faith of those who would follow him to this day. Now, just for a second, I just want to speak to Christians here. I know that's most people. It's not everybody. And if you wouldn't identify as a Christian, I would really like you to listen in. You kind of have to anyway. But I think this is important. I know that many of you feel like you've taken it on the chin the last few years. In this sense. Sometimes it seems like every prominent picture of what Christians are doing in the world is something you would never want to be a part of. And I'm not going to get into listing all the things. So I think that's counterproductive. But if you're feeling it, you know. And a good number of you are very, 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 very pro-Jesus. And that's never going to change. Your faith is in him. You're going to follow him your whole life. But you don't know if you want to associate with the name Christian anymore. I get it. I've had my moments. I'll just mention one because it impacted me so deeply. A couple years ago, an organization that I've always admired, World Vision, a Christian organization dedicated to providing medicine, nutrition, and clean water to thousands of impoverished children all over the world, got into hot water for changing their position on LGBT inclusion and their hiring practices. And as a result, around 3,500 Christians pulled their sponsorships of poor children. Now look, I get that good people who love Jesus can have different opinions on important issues. But I don't get how taking away food, water, and medicine from poor children can be considered a moral stand. When we hear stories like this, and not because we have it all figured out, don't have our own foibles and problems and blind spots because we do, I do. But I know more than a few people who read and hear this kind of stuff and say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be that. Well, that is not what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're ever wondering if you're ever concerned that you're losing touch with something beautiful that's inspired you but seems to be so horribly displayed in, the way, in ways that you can't identify with, or if you're exploring faith and curious about faith in Jesus, read this passage. Read what Jesus says concerns him the most, what he says his mission is. See how that feels. You know, someone in touch with these words would never abandon the poor or exclude the oppressed. And remember this. 
But more than remember, be a part of good news for the poor, sight for the blind, release of the prisoners, because that's where you'll find Jesus. That's where you'll stay connected to him and not lose track of what's really important. But don't expect him to make it easy on you. You see, we all think, I don't know a person who doesn't read this passage and think, I'm all for justice. And I read this passage and I respond to it. But here's the thing. God really likes to rescue the wrong people. And before we get too judgy of Christians, and I hope I haven't today, that don't represent us well, we feel like they don't, let's be careful that we don't do this exact same thing. Because that's what happens in this passage. Everyone in this passage is so stoked that Jesus says he's for justice, that Jesus says he's for compassion. They're praising him. They're saying he's the best thing since sliced bread. They're like, where did he learn to teach and talk like this? They're celebrating him. Until they're not. See, Jesus always seems to have a way of telling us that we have to love people that we don't want to love. And that's what happens here. He points out the Sidonian widow. She's Sidonian. She wasn't Jewish. She was considered unclean. He points out Naaman, the Syrian. That was the general of the enemy's army that was healed. That's why people are getting so angry. Who do you think of as the most evil general in the world? Who do you see as opposed to the United States of America? Insert that person right here. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to that person. And all of this stuff that you're cheering for, I'm going to apply it to the people you don't like. Who you've been told you're supposed to fear. Who is it that you're told are bad? Who do you want to stay away from you? Them. And I want you to help me. Those folks who have a different religion, like the widow, who come from Syria, like Naaman, them. You see what I did there? It really wasn't that hard because Jesus is so obviously bent towards welcoming the outcast and loving those you're tempted to fear. Who's this for you? Who are you tempted to fear or see as your enemy? If you want more of the Spirit of God in your life, I recommend applying this passage to them. It'll do you more good than praying and fasting for a decade. What is the fast that God requires of you? And that is a big part of what we're hoping for in this 40-day series. 
this could really be a powerful time of actually experiencing the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. So what I'm asking you to do today is to consider getting involved in this season of Lent, of being intentional in opening yourself even to loving people you think you're supposed to hate. Or that you tend to judge. And here's what we hope is going to happen during this season. First, that you connect to God. Jesus quotes here, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because, and then all these justice and compassion things he says, right? One of the major values of our church is to actually experience God. I want you to experience more of God. So we plan special activities. One start on Wednesday with our Ash Wednesday service. We have a Monday, Tuesday service, Good Friday service, Easter. They're designed to help us connect with some of these issues and to connect to God through them. Take advantage of those. Also, as part of our small group series that we've been developing, that's um, going along with our sermon series, there's a collaborative effort with our small groups with reflections and Bible studies that are happening during the week, to make a big ask. What's a big ask? Well, where in your life do you feel poor, captive, blind, or oppressed? What would it look like if that changed in a big way? Ask God for that to happen. We're asking everyone who participates in this to ask God for something in their own lives during the 40-day series, 40 series. Ask God for something big enough that if it actually happens, you know that God did it. So that's one, connecting to God. Second, we want to see the world more clearly, to see what God sees. So if you get on board with what's happening in small groups and come here on Sundays during this series, there's going to be opportunities to reflect. There's an exercise, week one, it's going to hit you right with, who are your namens? Who are your Sidonian widows? Who's that in your life? And it's going to push you to get to know those folks in a respectful way. And it's going to ask you, you know, what the, the question from Isaiah was, what's a fast that God desires? We're going to suggest one. We're going to ask you to figure out who your name is locally and to choose something in your life you normally do that costs a little bit of money. Maybe it's a cup of coffee every day at the local coffee shop. Maybe it's something else, something you do regularly in your life. And you're going to fast from that thing. And when you don't do that thing you always do, you pray for that person, that group. And you set the money aside to use for something valuable later. So we want you to connect with God. We want us all to see the world more clearly. And the third thing is to engage, to actually live this out, to find practical ways. You know, as you're doing this in your small group, hopefully you're going to be talking about different things that come up for you. You're going to start to see things around you that you wish was different. We're hoping that four, five, six projects come out of this, ideas that you have. You know, we have this philosophy here in our church that the best ideas for what we do are your ideas, not mine. And if we had to rely on Brad or the rest of the staff to come up with the best ideas, we'd be in trouble because God's working in your life, in your hearts, in your minds. We're hoping those ideas are going to come up and that if you're part of a small group and you've got some people around, you can choose some of those to actually do. And the church is going to help try and do those. In fact, I didn't tell you this. Small group leaders, you have $50 to spend in some way meaningful by the end of this 40-day series. 
You can choose with your group. Who are the Naamans? Who are the Sidonians in your life, in your neighborhood? Do something fun, meaningful. Maybe it's an idea that's going to come up in your group. You're going to do it together. Or consider an LDI project that stands for Leadership Development Intensive, where you can come and we'll gather people to support each other, to make their ideas come to life. And then at the end of this time, whatever money you've saved, whatever money your small group has, you can invest that from your fasting experiment in something practical and respectful to meet the need that you discovered during the 40-day series. And then we're going to have lots of stories to tell. So, my last plug. If you're not in a small group, do it at least for six weeks. Try it. Be a part of this. Because this is what's happening in the world around us. And I feel like through this series, we can root our expression, our desire for justice, our desire to share compassion with people in something that's ancient and continuing that won't fade or get mixed up. We can have a perspective that's rooted in the word of God and, and our experience with Jesus on how to be and how to do justice and how to share what we have with those in need. Does that sound interesting? So I know being in a small group is hard. I've got two kids <laughs> under the age of two. Uh, life's busy. But try it. There's a group on Sunday with childcare, too. Just throw that out there. Let's pray. Father, you know, all of these things are always bigger than us. But you knew that. When Jesus said those words, he knew he would entrust that mission to those who would come after him, who would identify with him and call him their Lord. Pour out grace. Help us to be learners, to be discoverers, to be respectful and to follow you, to see what you're doing and to join in. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're on the worship team, go ahead and make your way up. We're about ready to have a time of musical worship. And also, if you're, whoever is representing the prayer team today, if you could come forward. <laughs> Looks like it's Renee. Prayer team prays before the service. They get impressions. Sometimes the impressions are for you. So listen, you could be really encouraged. Thank you.